This episode of the Chats by Rotary Act Australia podcast is sponsored by Rotary International District 9650. 9650 is in northern New South Wales and current District Governor Debbie Loveday is passionate about engaging young people in meaningful and creative ways. The district is home to two Rotaract clubs and over 50 Rotary clubs, and over the last few years has been hugely encouraging of Rotaract and Rotary's youth programs, including RILA. The district actively seeks ways to encourage and support millennials and those at the start of their career to take up some of the great opportunities Rotary International can provide. To find out more about the district, head to their Facebook page, Rotary District 9650, or their website, www.rotary9650.org.au. You're listening to Chats by Rotaract Australia, where we bring Rotaractors together to inspire, educate and collaborate. Hi everyone, welcome back to Chats by Rotaract Australia. I'm your host Holly and today I am joined by a very special guest from Lockdown 3.0 in Melbourne, which hopefully will be over by the time this episode goes to air. Welcome Helena. Hi Holly, how are you? Oh look, I feel like I am probably a little bit more chipper than you, but I still appreciate you taking the time out with me today. Yeah, no, thank you for inviting me. Now, tell me a little bit of just to get us started. How how did you get involved in Rotaract and and a little bit about your journey so far? I got involved in Rotaract in July 2015, so that's quite a while ago. So it's I've been a member of Gateway Rotaract for now nearly five and a half years. I found it online. I was I was looking for some volunteering jobs, well, not jobs, but like opportunities. And I saw an advertisement on the uh, seek.com, uh, but in the volunteering section. Yeah, there was an advertisement there for Gateway Rotaract. And I was like, okay, so I'll, I'll, um, it's in my area. I just contacted them and now I've been there ever since. So Gateway Rotaract, it's, we're located in the northern suburbs of Melbourne. where We meet in Pasco Vale, not that far from the airport. When I initially joined Rotaract, it was to network, to meet young professionals in my area and also volunteer with the community. But that's not the reason why I've stayed for so long. A lot of things have changed and that's not my primary reason for staying, even though it was my reason for starting. I stayed because it provided me with a lot of opportunities to improve my professional and also personal skill set and apply for leadership positions and opportunities I would not be able to get outside of Rotaract or the Rotary world. There's always been opportunities there to push myself to be better, project management roles and opportunities, public speaking opportunities. You can also apply to facilitate for youth programs and um, for breakout sessions for Rotary or for Rotaract Australia. So there's a lot of opportunities. Initially, it was networking and helping the community, but it's also led to a lot of leadership opportunities that I didn't really think about when I first started. So that's a little bit of a transition there. During my time in Rotaract, I've been Uh, club president. I've also been vice president. I'm now doing my second time as a secretary. And I've also been the district Rotaract representative for district 9800 for two years. Yeah, there's been a lot there. Then there's also other experiences as being a facilitator for RIPEN district 9800, supporter for RILA um, 9790, and also 
chairing the Great Southern Cruise Australian Road Rack Conference. Even though it got cancelled, I still have an opportunity to chair the next ARC, which will be announced hopefully soon. I think it was probably, you know, an ARC that had so much excitement around it because it was such a cool idea. So you should definitely um, be very proud of the, I know there was months of work involved behind the scenes that lots of people don't get to see, so. Yeah, yeah, there definitely was. I think it, it was supposed to have been two weeks ago now. So I know on that weekend, I'm like, oh, we would have been on the cruise. But it was honestly, it was a it was a learning experience. There was a lot of stuff there. I feel pretty confident in project management, but you learn a lot when you do a project that big. Learned a lot there. <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that. Well, thank you for sharing that. It's also really just nice to catch up in general because we, you know, both kind of were DRRs uh, around this at the same time. I feel like, I, you know, I've seen some of this journey as well, which has been an absolute privilege. But today we are here to talk about codes of conduct. So let's start with something really, really basic. How do you define a code of conduct and what's its purpose? A code of conduct is essentially a document that outlines an organization's values, their rules, their responsibilities, and a set of standards that are acceptable within that organization. Within my Rotaract Club's code of of conduct, it outlines a general understanding of the acceptable standards and behaviors when representing the club externally, such as events in public club socials, and then also internally, so in meetings, online communication, project management. That's what our code of conduct is all about. And it applies to all members and those associating with the club, whether it's a past club member who's still associated with the club, a visiting uh, Rotarian, a guest speaker, or even just a general volunteer. Okay, so we have the four-way test in Rotary, the guides are actions, and I think that a lot of clubs are probably similar to mine, Tamar Valley, have club values that they try to uphold. So how does a formal code of conduct differ from the four-way test or club values and that kind of thing? For those listening that don't know what the four-way test is or they may not have heard it before, so that test is widely used by Rotarians and Rotaractors as a standard to measure behaviour. And the four questions that are asked, they seek whether an individual or individual's behaviour in a certain scenario is appropriate. So they do ask questions such as, is it the truth? Is it fair to all concerned? Will it build goodwill and better friendships? Will it be beneficial to all concerned? So with my club code of conduct, uh, that does differ from the four-way test to a point. Our club actually has decided what we believe is good behaviour and good standards when representing the club, whilst the four-way test is how to measure that behaviour. We'll go through a little bit later on, but when it comes to talking about what when we identify the behaviour, then it will be up to either the president or the DRR, depending on the circumstance, to review the behaviour, then do the four-way test. But in this instance, the difference is, is that we, we already know what behaviour we, uh, we want in the club and what's of good standards. And all members have had an opportunity to read the Code of Conduct behaviours as well and they know what's expected of them. 
I might circle back to the all members being aware of it. So let's hold that part and let's go into a little bit of the nitty gritty about the four-way test and general values compared to how your club does it. Now, for background for everyone, um, Helena did send me a few documents to prep for today's chat. (laughs) And one of the documents is her club's bylaws because your code of conduct is actually formalized in the bylaws, which is very different to how other clubs might have their values or have general standards of behavior. Why was that something that your club wanted to actually put into the bylaws? We wanted to have a legally binding document. In Victoria, we have to lodge everything to Consumer Affairs Victoria. So we decided that if we put it uh, referenced in the bylaws and also then attached with the bylaws, it then becomes a legally binding document so that if hopefully it never gets actioned, but In the rare circumstance that something really severe happens, we've got a legal document that every member has read, every member understands what behaviour and what is and what isn't of good standard and being a um, good standing uh, member. And we can then, if needed, hopefully not, it can be used legally in a situation where a member is not in good standing. Now let's get into some of the the nitty gritty. So doing a a brief overview of uh, the code of conduct, there's a a purpose, there's the scope, which we talked about what kind of people it applies to. There is a list of member behaviours that uh, are expected. There is a misconduct procedure. So where you detail a a three-strike policy, you talk a, a grievance resolution procedure, a misconduct rubric, The expectations that the club has on you, things like you're working with children check, your Rotary Club volunteer information form, previously called a Form 3, health and safety, conflicts of interest, confidentiality, privacy. It's very, very (laughs) comprehensive. You've also talked about, I think, your district constitution, how to clarify concerns and what people do if there's a breach of the code. So what kind of basis did you guys do to work through the creation of the code? We started off by reviewing our club bylaws and we noticed it was really out of date. It was quite out of date actually. And it's it's one of those items that everyone says, well, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. It's in, you know, it's, it's there. We'll, we'll get to it. And we kind of never really did. And then we had the Rotaract Constitution coming out and being effective as of the 1st of July 2020. So we kind of set ourselves a timeline and we said, we need to lodge this to Consumer Affairs Victoria. Let's also update our club bylaws as well. And uh, so we can lodge them at the same time. While reviewing the club bylaws, we, we noticed that there was a lot of stuff missing, especially when it came to termination of club members not that we were looking specifically at terminating membership but there was nothing there in the event that um, we needed to use that part of the bylaws what we did was we spoke about a code of conduct and then we reviewed a lot of different different code of conducts that were available so we looked a little bit from a few banks we looked at some universities how they wrote theirs we even looked at some members are part of the lions club and also scouts so we looked at all different types of codes of conducts and then we kind of picked and choose what we thought was most appropriate for our club and then we put them all together and then we also noticed that there was quite a few gaps there so we then said well if it's not in our code of conduct 
please refer to any code of conduct or policies from the district because there's only so much we can write and if the resources are already out there for the district, we could just look at them and reference them in our code of conduct. Yeah, I can see, for example, you've got you've referenced your district's mutual respect policy, sexual harassment policy, protection, youth involvement, social media engagement, etc., as reference to kind of including but not limited to those things. Yeah, yeah. It's just that the, our code of conduct isn't an exhaustive list. Whatever's on there is is all the the behaviours. It's just a list just to give future presidents and you know future members an understanding of what what is acceptable, what isn't acceptable as well. And once we're writing the the code of conduct, we we also thought it would be good to have like a, a rubrics there with all this different types of severities. So for example, in category number one, if you don't attend a club meeting, if you regularly don't unatt- don't attend them, then that's a behavior we do not want but it's not severe it's not a severe you know so that's why it's category one whereas a category three misconduct is something a lot more severe such as physical violence or you're violating the working with children's check uh, legislations we, we decided to do it like that because not every single misconduct is exactly the same and they shouldn't all have the same punishments in a way not punishments but say yeah handled the exact same way it was quite a process it didn't take too long we did spend a few weekends half a day here half a day there on a few weekends we looked at it and then we gave it to club members after there was a draft for them to review as well it looks like a lot but a lot of it was just researching other codes of conduct and copying and pasting what we thought was most appropriate for us so i you mentioned the categories of severity of behavior. I want to touch on how you guys came up with your grievance resolution procedure flowchart, which is essentially where you talk about the process of a formal verbal notice, then first and final notices in writing, or a final kind of notice of club expulsion. You might have these categories that you've created that say, you know, if behavior is similar to or within the scope of this list of examples, it's deemed this category. How then going through this grievance procedure are those categories used to determine what actions are taken? So to answer the first question, how we came up with it, we found something extremely similar online already from a Rotaract club, I think in WA. So we we looked at that. It was, I think, from 2011 kind of looked at that and then we we liked the flow chart and then we adapted it to what we had and what our grievance chart has is we firstly someone puts in a complaint and then we figure out whether that complaint is in regards to the president is it a complaint about the president or is it a not a complaint about the president if it's a complaint against the president then we would then go to the DRR and if it isn't, then it goes straight to the club president. The club president then will ask the person to put in an um, incident report. So we even prepared an incident report which is referenced in the Code of Conduct. So there is three documents that are linked together. So we do have the, the bylaws which are linked to the Code of Conduct which is linked to the incident report. And the incident report isn't just for misconduct, it's also if there is an accident at an event, so that for rotary insurance purposes. But in terms of the misconduct, the member would then 
write down their complaint in the incident report, then either the DRR or the president will review it and then that's when the four-way test would come in where is it the truth and the other three questions as well. If needed, then they would review that, they would review which category it's in and if needed, they could then talk to our Rotaract chair in the district, so the Rotarian, and then if needed, Rotaract Australia, um, just to find an outcome. And then once an outcome has been found, then the DRR or the president would uh, write that outcome on the incident report and then it gets filed away in our Google Doc account um, or our Gmail account so that if anything happens in the future and it's a different president and they don't know much about and in the individual that the complaint has been filed against, at least they, they know that, okay, a verbal or a written notice has been filed. It's in there. If they play up again, it might be time for expulsion, depending on what it is. So I can understand that it might feel for some people listening or even just us talking about it, it's a bit of a, a topic that you're preparing for, hoping that these things aren't ever going to happen. But I definitely think there are lots of presidents and lots of club members, et cetera, who would love to kind of have this formalised process that had already existed before something happened. So it's a lot of work, I can imagine, or a bit of prep, but it's really to kind of set yourselves up and the club up the best for the future. Yeah, it, we don't want to use this, but you know, we, we do have some experienced rotor actors in the club and we, we've all had our own experiences and, you know, the, and it's not just in rotor act, but just in, in general. We, you know, using our own experiences, we thought, well, let's just have this just in case. It didn't take too long to make this document, but now that we've got it, other clubs can use it if they, they need to as well. So we kind of done the work there but every club's different we tried to keep ours as general as possible it wasn't targeted to anyone you know have respect for one another and listen to each other's opinions so it's not really that direct in terms of anyone in particular but it's just there just to make sure everyone has the same idea what right behavior is now on that making sure everyone has the same understanding or I guess the same common ground from which to create a respectful and safe environment how do you ensure that especially given that it's part of the bylaws how do you ensure that people actually read it and pay attention to it we gave everyone a copy of it once we updated our bylaws so everyone does have a copy and it's on system that everyone's got a copy so if they read it or not they they have a copy plus our current members at the moment all voted for it, so we've got that in the minutes. But for any new member that comes in, I know that lockdown was a blessing for our club because we got to do a lot of documents we wouldn't have done otherwise. But we um, we also prepared a more comprehensive membership form and we've kind of got a tick the box, yes, I understand this, 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 this. And um, one of the items that people need to tick is have you read the club bylaws and club code of conduct and you've got to you've got to take yes that you have if you don't then we know if there is someone contesting in the future oh we didn't know that this was in the bylaws then we've got a signed membership form from you saying well you've read it you've signed it you've ticked yes you understand so that's just to make sure that everyone's read it and when they join the club they'll um, get a copy of that as well. Yeah, so it's like there's a really clear 
expectation that you have an understanding of it. And I guess if someone uh, unfortunately acts in a way that, you know, that requires it to be used, they have also, by being virtual of a member, agreed to act. But yeah, it's really interesting. Would you suggest that a code of conduct is something all clubs should consider? I think they should. It's a good exercise for clubs to understand what their values are. And it's also an exercise for clubs to also set themselves some standards. As mentioned before, we don't intend on using it, but if we do intend on using it, we've got something there. So it's um, just to keep everyone in the same mindset and the same understanding that this behaviour is appropriate, this behaviour is not appropriate, and um, these are the different policies that you need to abide by. So since getting your members to vote on it and approve it, what's been the feedback from the club? Do they feel more confident understanding this common ground that everyone has created? I know that everyone everyone's definitely read it because we went through it all together. So one thing that I didn't mention before, but in terms of implementing it, the way that we implemented it was we had a special general meeting. We prepared the uh, the bylaws and the code of conduct and then we gave everyone formal notice that it was happening and then we provided them with a copy during our special general meeting we had every single club member there plus two representatives one from each sponsoring rotary club what we did was we went through it together so we went through every single section together everyone read it and then we went through it really slowly. It took like an hour and a half, but we everyone went through it. We went through all the spelling. People had some questions. We went through all the, the questions. So everyone was there. Everyone had an opportunity to, to read it. So everyone knows what's expected of them. At the moment, we haven't really had a reason to review it as of yet. Um, that's just because we've been in lockdown. We really haven't had much happening in terms of projects. And it's mostly just meetings at the moment. We have had a few projects, but members at the moment haven't really had a, we haven't looked at it since we've implemented it because I, everyone understands what's um, the behaviour and what's expected of them. I mean, and hopefully you won't really have to yeah. have to look at it except yeah. for when you have to do your regular bylaw reviews anyway. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's really interesting. Is there any tips or advice that you would give to a club looking to implement something similar after they've listened to this this chat with us today? Any final thoughts? Have a look what's already out there because there, there's always stuff out there and you don't have to start from scratch. I know that my, my district has its own code of conduct already. Your district may have their own code of conduct. You may not need to prepare your own. You might just want to put in your bylaws that refer to the code of conduct by the district there's definitely a lot out there. There's a lot of examples out there. You don't have to start from scratch. You could easily just review and take out parts of different codes of conducts that are out there to make your own. So that's probably the advice that I would, would give for that. Yeah. Research extensively and but then tailor to your club's needs and wants and desires. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, so valuable. Thank you so much for your time today and explaining it all, all to me. It's lovely to see this work that I know that you've talked about, see it in the flesh and see it come to life and hopefully another Rotor actor will find significant value in it too. So I really appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you so much for having me as well. Thanks everyone for listening. We hope you'll tune in again soon. 
Don't forget to subscribe to Chats by Broderick Australia on your favourite podcasting channel and like, share and comment on the RA socials.